Justin, how are you, man? Doing all right. How are you? Can't complain. So you've been going deep on digital art lately, huh? I've listened to a few podcasts that you've done recently, and you're just about the best spokesman for digital art that I've heard. Oh, wow. That, that means a lot, man. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah there's, there's, there's a bit of a backstory. I'm happy to share it in, in as, brief, <laughs> as brief of a format as I can. Yeah, well, I, I know you've been following crypto for quite a while, right? And kind of experimented in a number of different ways. Digital art is kind of breaking out in the past few months, and I imagine you kind of saw that. But yeah, I'm curious specifically, you know, more recently, what led you to dive in the way you have? Yeah, so I guess the best place to start is my, I kind of got involved in the, in the blockchain space very passively in 2014 because of a friendship with the Winklevoss twins. Mm-hmm. who were Gemini at the time that I was staying with them in LA. And that was my first exposure to BTC and also the first exposure to any concept of digital scarcity. I didn't even think it was a thing, right? Yeah. When I was, you know, 14, I didn't really understand it. And as time went on, I started to really see the applications that digital scarcity can have in music, that it can have across all different verticals, all different you know, parts of the entertainment business and to get, you know, there's kind of a long journey through crypto that we don't have to dive into in too much depth, but I constantly was looking for ways to apply this incredible tech to music. And any way I looked at it, whatever I tried to do would be a security Mm -hmm. because music is a cash producing asset yep tokenize a song in the way that i wanted to back in in 17 my vision was to tokenize a song and let fans share in the profits of the song that's not something that's very easy to execute yeah so i was constantly looking for other ways to tokenize art and make art limited if that makes sense and then i started to see you know and it's not to say that it's just about what some of this art sold for. But as I started to see digital arts selling for higher and higher prices, I started to believe that the effort that I could put in would be worth it. And that's when I started really diving in with my art director in making, you know, what we like to think is super, super, super high level quality stuff. And if I'm going to sell something online, that's a piece of digital art, it better be the highest quality it better be something that no one else can replicate if it's going to be exclusive. So what, what ended up happening was to, to get like, to dive into the, the NFT portion of my, the very brief NFT portion of my longer crypto career. Um, in May, Slime Sunday, my art director, he's been my art director for five years. So he's worked on all of the blouse stuff for the past five years. Yeah. And, and on that, you know, we invested in Super Rare in July. And, you know, when we invest in projects, we typically try to help in different ways. And so one of the things we did was look on Instagram to see who the most followed digital artists were. And, you know, Slime Sunday was, was right at the top. I think he's got over 500,000 followers. And I reached out to him to try to pitch him a super rare and 
he's like, I'm already on it. And I imagine you were kind of the one that, that got him on it. And it's funny, like he was really the only one that responded positively. Uh, you know, most of the rest, I think it's still early, right? They don't really understand it. And um, they're, you know, they're not ready to move. But yeah, I'm curious to hear more about that collaboration, you know, with Slime Sunday. What's he been doing for you for the past five years? He's made all of the Blau album artwork and a lot of the Blau content. Cool. And did you just find, did you see his stuff on Instagram and reach out to him also? Yeah, that's cool. It's, I just was a huge fan. Yeah. And we, we just drive together creatively. And there are a few people that just share the kind of exact same creative vision as we do. And we, we were just like, we, we never disagree on anything. We never do in, in the history of us. Disagree. Oh, but um, in short, we, you know, we were both talking about how, you know, he, he was doing a lot of freelance work in, in music. That was his primary source of income. And the music industry obviously took a pretty major hit with COVID. My main source of income disappeared after like decades of touring, or one decade of touring, I should say. And we were just like exploring new ways to monetize our art at a time when we couldn't, you know, Mike wasn't getting as much incoming work. I obviously wasn't touring, but we love making music and being creative. The problem with making a song and putting it up on Spotify, is there's a long feedback loop till you even see the success of it. It takes like six months to really know if a song is going to be successful or not. With digital art, the feedback is pretty instant. You, know, you put it up, people bid on it, and if it's truly, you know, I'd like to think if it's truly an amazing piece of work, people will bid it way higher. If it's a mediocre piece of work, they don't. It, yeah. It's an immediate for art, for, for artistic vision. And that's like so exciting for an artist because we sometimes have to wait a really long time before we even know if what we did is good. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. So we, we started exploring the NFT space about three months ago. And I had advised, I had been advising I advise a bunch of crypto companies just because a lot of distributed ledger tech companies seek to onboard the mainstream. And I've always felt that I might be able to help bridge that gap between mainstream users and crypto specific users. And so I've advised a bunch of companies. I advise audits. I also advise a company called Block Party that started out in ticketing and actually pivoted to NFTs. So we did our first launch with Block Party and we sold out in like three hours. That's when I realized, okay, there's clearly demand here, but we need to test it again. And you know, I wanna make sure that there's real demand. And so my, my strategy was I wanna approach as many platforms as possible and see if their audiences still have demand for the work that we create. So then the second drop we did two weeks ago with Nifty Gateway and the, the auction ended at 21,000, which was an incredible fee. And all the other pieces in the collection sold out. The yeah. price fourteen seconds. I know, wow. man. I, I I tried to bid on the block, and missed it. Ended up buying it for two x. So, uh, oh. so I've got one. I've got one, but I bought a secondary. Yeah. <laughs> I think that you know, I appreciate the support. I think you know, for us, one of the reasons why I would I'd love to talk to you because you're you're obviously a an experienced collector, and as we journey. You know, I'm viewing this as a very long-term vision, long-term project. 
that Mike and I, Mike and I have already worked together for five years. We're going to work on this for many years to come. We want to bring this digital art to the physical world. We're already working on like physical and you know, unique ways to display this stuff to, to get the mainstream on board because people like yourself have an understanding of this. I love this concept of a digital certificate of ownership that exists on the blockchain that shows support to an artist like myself and like Mike. We spend hours on this stuff. It's not like we're whipping up a meme and throwing it on Rarible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this is way more complex. You know, we yeah. spend sometimes hours a day on FaceTime working on this. So historically, right, a painter will spend hours on a canvas and then only one person gets to enjoy it um, when they buy it for their home. But everyone can kind of see a famous painting on the internet if they just Google it. It's a different experience when it's yours. There are very few words that are able to describe that feeling of owning something and being proud of supporting an artist's work. It's the same kind of feeling you get when you make a big charitable donation that means something to you. You don't get anything physical in return for it. And yet you're really excited about making that donation and helping people. There's no difference in buying a digital certificate of authenticity for an artist that you, that you enjoy. So I've been trying to support this movement and, and, and encourage more mainstream artists to explore this new space. People like yourself have had this vision for even longer than I have, because you've been involved in the space even longer than I have. But it's, uh, it's an exciting time. It's exciting to see how much demand is out there. And at this point, we just want to be very careful, given how you know I've learned that there's been a lot of internal politics in, in the NFT space. And we want to make sure that we don't cross any any lines and we don't release too much art and we and we, we follow a strategy that keeps collectors happy but still gives access to a lot of people to participate in this like new economy sure. so that's kind of the yeah, yeah that's that makes sense yeah one of the things i've found you know when talking to people outside of crypto about this they, I, I i find it resonates in some ways more than speculating on a cryptocurrency, right? It's like people understand art, um, but one of the things they don't get is is context, right? Like I think, you know, tr traditional art, people like to display it in their homes. There's kind of sick, there's signaling um, and, and context for that. And in, in digital art, there is that. And I actually think we're kind of just scratching the surface on that. But I'm curious how you think about kind of the different contexts by which people show off uh, their art, right? Like I know you guys, I think you did, uh, you guys are, uh, you know, giving away a few of the Samsung frames, um, which I actually haven't, uh, I haven't got one yet. I've got the mural canvas too, which um, is, which I really like, although it's not great. Uh, it doesn't have audio. I'm curious, I don't know if this, so I, like I, the block piece that I bought, I can't, I can't play the audio. I can, you know, show the video, but, um, that's interesting. Yeah. The audio component of art is still new. Yeah. And I think the application of like the audio as a part of the visual experience that we create is probably a lot of it's going to happen in like future VR worlds. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because, you know, collectors in, I'm not that big in kind of the, the different VR worlds and showing off my collections, things like that yet, but there are, um, you know, there are collectors that, um, you know, are in Sonium space or in crypto voxels. Um, 
and you could really imagine how the uh, you know audio plus visual uh, kind of plays out in there, right? Like you know, what if you did a Blau uh, concert in you know in VR um, in the middle of a gallery, right? I just did a call with uh, Sony Space uh, a few days ago. Nice. And gave me a full demo. In fact, the whole call was him in in VR world talking to me through, like he streamed the whole thing. I was like, I was mind blown. Yeah. I was there. I didn't think the tech was that far along yet. Yeah. So, I mean, are you, uh, do you have an Oculus? Are you, have you dabbled in VR at all? No. I've always, I have dealt with VR. Yeah. But never in my home. Like I've been, when I was in Korea, I went to a VR gaming studio and had an absolute blast. You know, like I've done, I've done stuff in VR, but never like in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, I've never, like I've never messed with Decentraland or crypto boxes or anything like that. Yeah, my my view is it still it, it does still feel early to me. Like I've got an Oculus, I like my Oculus. There's not like Sonium's not an Oculus yet, right? Um, it's all my understanding is it, it's it like it's not fully baked. Like you know, the full version is not an Oculus yet. Although that could be that may have changed recently. Oculus, but I think he said that I needed I needed a PC as well. Yeah, exactly. So that that's the great thing. The Oculus Quest. I've been tracking VR for uh, for many years, um, and up until Oculus Quest, like you know, you could only get a good VR experience if you had a big high powered uh, PC, right? Uh, but Oculus Quest is like four hundred bucks, and you don't need anything, right? And it's it's wireless, and it, and it's a comparable experience to the the previous. So that's why I, I think for digital art to really break through in VR, uh, we need like good Oculus Quest experiences. That's kind of my view. And I think Sonium is, you know, wants to get there, but it's not there quite yet. Can we expect a Blau uh, concert plus gallery in Sonium space anytime soon? That's, uh, so I just had my first conversation with them about it and it's definitely yeah. something that we want to explore. The audience is still a bit, a bit small right now. And of course, like the barrier to entry is a fan having a VR headset and the yep. compatible you know, computer, but I'm still super excited about it. And I think seeing some of the digital works that they had in the VR space definitely made me believe in the potential a lot more. Yeah. I'm curious on that note, like, you know, you've obviously got a massive following in your music world, right? I think you've got something like uh, 300,000 plus Instagram followers. And I, I checked this morning, I think something like 2 million a, a monthly listen to you on Spotify. On Spotify. Right? Um, my guess though, is that like the stuff you're doing in digital art is not really yet uh, bringing a lot of those fans over, right? It's mostly right. like, my sense is it's mostly crypto people like myself, right? Who maybe weren't super familiar with you, but love your music and love that you're doing something early as a big artist doing something early in, in the Ethereum space, right? So uh, have you had much kind of existing fan base transition over to what you're doing here yet or no? Yes and no. So there's kind of, and, and this is actually something that I'd love to get your opinion on because you are a collector and you've been involved in the space for a while. The, the one of one pieces that we've been doing are selling at way too high of a price point for a regular fan to be able to access it. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been exploring is, you know, how do we take a cause approach where cause can sell a $15 million sculpture, but he can also sell a $50 figurine 
Yep. Right. So with our nifty drop, for instance, there were a bunch of fans that were trying to buy the block like you were, and they all got shut out. Yeah. So, so we've been exploring like, well, how do we keep our like collectors happy of our one of ones, the people that are really dedicated and, and, you know, believe in the art that we do. And, but how do we still onboard the mainstream? And the the, the solution that we've kind of come up with is doing a, a higher edition, doing higher edition pieces that are already out there. So like all the SSX blog stuff is brand new stuff that we've worked on, super exclusive, new music that no one's heard before, new visuals that, that Mike hasn't even put out there in the world before. And that's what demands that higher premium. But if I wanted to sell a, a digital edition of my album artwork, so my last album, Ultraviolet, has over, over like 200 million streams. So the actual album artwork is pretty familiar. It's already out there. So why not try selling an edition of a couple hundred of that piece? And it's just a, it's just a static artwork, right? Yeah. To sell a, a higher edition number of that piece at a lower price, just to help onboard the mainstream. And one of the struggles that I've had with that is, you know, and you're a collector yourself. Like if someone like you wouldn't feel that your collection is devalued from, from us doing that, then we're going to do it. But we also want to be sensitive to the fact that our one of ones are, you know, they take a lot of hours and a lot of time and a lot of work and we want those to remain exclusive. So, yeah. So I kind of wanted to get your feedback there. Like on the one hand, we want to onboard more people. On the other hand, we don't want to, you know, upset our collectors who have already spent a lot of, a lot of money on our, on our one-on-one pieces. So I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to kind of ask you, like, what's your perspective about that? No, I love, I love the, the approach that you're thinking about. Yeah. And I absolutely think that is, that's going to be the way that every digital artist, every premium digital artist does it. Right. And we've kind of already seen it with someone like Pac, you know, Pac, I think is the, um, you know, by some metrics, the most successful. He's the OG. Artist. Yep. Uh, and he sold, you yeah. know, over 250 K, uh, you know, USD worth of art. Um, and he started, you know, just on super rare doing one of ones and he's since gone to nifty gateway and done additions. And I think it just, it's good for a a collector like me, if more people know who Pac is and are able to own a Pac work. Right. So I see it as a great way for someone like Pac or someone like you you guys to, grow your brand in the digital art world and make more people aware of your digital art. Like I, I don't think, and particularly if you, you have this approach where, you know, your new stuff is one of one and your like your, your old album stuff is the addition stuff. Like I would, I would encourage you to even do like, you know, a thousand or 10,000 or whatever at uh, you know, a very low price. Right. So a lot of people can own that. If you do that and you're able to draw your fans, more fans into the digital art world as a result. I mean, that, that's a win-win for everyone. So I, I love we, we agree. So I really appreciate that you have that perspective. I just want to be sensitive to the collectors that do own those one-of-ones. Like we never want to devalue that work. And yeah. as long as we, it's, you know, as long as we're sensitive to that, I, I don't see any reason why we can't sell lower priced products. As, as long as like we, we wouldn't, do a one of one and then let everyone access it because it defeats the purpose of us spending so much time on it. Yep. But my album art is something that Mike and I worked on two years ago right? and it's already out there. So why not give fans the ability to own a limited edition of that? And we wouldn't, you know, 
uh, you know, we wouldn't start off with a thousand. We'd start off with a couple hundred and then we can scale it to a thousand. I mean, even in Pac's case, you know, he did unlimited editions for like for a brief period of time. We've also thought about like releasing editions over time. So maybe there's a thousand possible, but only 20 come out per month. So new newcomers to the space still have an opportunity to buy something yeah. later, even if they missed it. So we're just kind of exploring like what types of content we keep exclusive and what types of content we give the public more access to. And I agree. I think it's like super important that some of this stuff is affordable. Otherwise no one's going to, you know, it's never going to reach that like mainstream inflection point. So I'm glad that you have, it's reassuring to hear a collector like yourself have a, you know, open perspective. Yeah. I don't, I can't say all collectors feel that way that I've spoken to. So it's like, mm-hmm. I have to like navigate how to keep everyone happy, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think how I think about, you know, I'm first and foremost, you know, an investor and just want the space to succeed, right? So, you know, collecting is a very small piece of my overall interest and exposure. But I do think the mindset of a collector is like, look, if I'm, if I'm buying uh, the first Blau or if I'm buying, an, you know, an early Pock, I think that there's a chance that digital art gets absolutely massive and, you know, Blau or Hawk becomes one of the biggest creators in, in this space. So I, anything that you, you do to grow that, I see as, as I said, a win-win. Where it really gets interesting for me, for many years, uh, even before crypto for me, I, I've been interested in like spotting new artists early. Like I've loved finding, um, you know, YouTubers that, you know, were doing, uh, you know, good renditions of, you know, existing work and, and, and being really there early and, and betting that they were going to, you know, succeed, but I've never been able to make money on that. Right. And there's been a bunch of attempts. I'm sure you've been following this in, in the past, you know, 15 years to, to do this, to create like a marketplace so that early fans could bet on artists. And to there, there's a lot of reasons that, it, you know, it hasn't worked. Uh, I think what you alluded to with you know, the, the issue, the securities issue is, is one big one. There's many, but I see what you're doing, uh, particularly if it's new work. If I can bet early on a, a new blouse song that goes on to be a massive hit on Spotify and I own the one of one audio plus visual, I'm betting on kind of your success. How I think about any artist I'm collecting, it's, it's a bet on the artist, right? And I really like this audio, very new uh, audio plus visual, which you are really pioneering along with, you know, a few others. And I saw even today, right, there's, um, I hadn't heard of the guy, but um, some, a, a new uh, German uh, EDM guy. Oh, he's huge. Yeah. Boys Noise is like, a, I, I bid on his piece because right. he's, he's a legend in yeah. the dance world. I mean, I grew up listening to his stuff. Nice. And awesome. We were texting, you know, so we're all, a lot of musicians that are into crypto, we're all in a, in a WhatsApp group chat. And he saw that RAC and I did some stuff yeah. and he was like, I got to do this too. And I think we're going to see a lot of that coming in the future from artists that are thinking, that are forward thinking. But yeah, Boys Noise is like, I'm a huge fan. So like, even though I'm a creator, I've actually bid on at least four pieces on Super Rare to lose all of them. I've <laughs> so, seen you on there, yeah. I think you're, oh bidding, man. you're bidding on a Pac piece, right? I bid on a Pac piece, but then I actually like bid pretty high on this Alessio piece, and then like someone just bought it. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough to win stuff. I, I got to tell you, but, uh, but I, I obviously want to be, you know, I, I enjoy the creative process, but I want to collect as well, especially yeah. like artists that I support. And I think doing both is, is it, you know, I want to show the whole NFT world that I'm in this more than just as a creator. I'm in this because I really believe in the space as a whole. That's super cool. So boys noise. I saw his is a collab with some other, you know, visual artist. Do a lot of you know, people like yourself have a, a, a slime season kind of that you're already working with? Is that pretty common in, in your world? Yes. Usually a, a, D, a, a DJ or musician will find an art director that they like really can, can, can see eye to eye with creatively. And I've done a lot of my art direction with, with Mike. Yeah. We've been working together for five years, like I said. RAC did his with his art director. Boys Noise did his with his, the guy that designs the visuals for his live performances. And there's an obvious, like, we've already all been working together, so the creative chemistry exists. And that's why Mike and I kind of committed to working together. And we're still going to do individual stuff. So, like, Mike's, Mike's individual stuff, Slime Sunday's individual stuff, is super different. Yeah. But he's so versatile. Yeah. So he's going to kind of do his thing. Blouse stuff is going to be specific to songs that are already big. And the SSX Blouse stuff is going to be stuff that's not out yet that might never come out that may come out, but it's all kind of built from scratch. That's not to say any is necessarily more valuable than the other. We just wanted to kind of separate the vision for each, you know, artistic identity that we're working with. Cause Mike's, Mike's stuff is like super sexual and weird and awesome, but like, that's not my stuff. Yeah. But when we come together, we kind of do more futuristic dance stuff. Yeah. So it's like, we want to give, you know, I don't want to limit Mike and what he can put out there. So he obviously put out his first um, art piece and his, his, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but Instagram banned like 30 of his images for I being too that, explicit. Yeah. yeah. So he's uploading those to super rare, which is like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and that's really exciting. And um, you know, we're all just exploring this new space and it's, it's helpful to get, perspective from people like yourself as someone who's relatively new and you've obviously you're an investor in super rare, you know, this is, this is your bread and butter. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think your theory is right. That this is the first time the public will get exposure to betting on creatives. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful. For sure. So one of the things I've heard you talk about is, you know, the fact that you're independent, right? You've been independent for your 10 year career as allowed you to really experiment a lot in this space, right? It's uh, and really you own all of your, your masters, I think, or, or the vast majority of them. And so it's, it's not difficult for you to... Uh, I don't have to ask permission. Is that, the, <laughs> is that the case with like boys noise also? Is, and is that something you, you think is really, um, as we think about how this kind of, the, what you're doing grows, um, and I, I think it's absolutely going to, right? Um, but I'm curious, like, what what characteristics are needed from like big artists like yourself to, you know, to, to really get involved here? Do you think it is really important to, to be independent at least for a while until the record labels adapt? So there are going to be limitations to a non-independent artist issuing any of these tokens because their record deals will, will prevent them from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Boys noise, I imagine created a unique sound for his piece. Um, uh, RAC I know did I did for all the original SSX Blouse stuff and then any of the existing songs like 
if I did it with someone else, it, it'll be way more difficult to get like permission to actually sell it as, a, as, as an NFT. So I think independent artists will lead the effort, but eventually record labels will catch on and they'll see that this is a new, this, there's no risk in this. Like there's, it's just a new way to monetize the content that they already own the licensing to. But, but I do think that independent artists are going to gravitate towards this a little bit quicker because they don't have to ask anyone permission. So like with Starcrossed, you know, I wrote that entire song myself. I own all the master, all the pub. There was a vocalist on it, but we actually, you know, paid a fee to the vocalist instead of giving them a percentage because she wasn't really a big part of it. And so in that instance, I can do whatever I want with the instrumental. Um, and the next Blau token that we're going to launch is um, another instrumental song from my album that was really popular when I play it live. And the visual is a little bit more, um, it's a little bit darker than the Starcross mm -hmm. visual. I'll, I'll say that. And that's also easy for me to do because it's on my album and I own it. But the second there's a vocalist or a singer, I'll probably have to split the proceeds with them. I mean, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I don't have to, but it, the right thing to do would be to split the proceeds based on our agreement. You know, it's not always 50-50. Sometimes it's like 75-25. Sometimes it's 20%, whatever, to them. Um, but I do think that that's fair. So in the case there's a vocalist, even if I control the master, which I do, when I work with, a, with another vocalist, I'll still ask their permission. And I imagine they're going to say yes because it's to them it's, you know, new found capital. Yeah. Right? It's not something yeah. they would have otherwise. So I'm starting with the records. So on SSX Blast stuff, it's all new, so we don't have to worry about it. On the Blau side, I'm only I'm starting out with the records that I know are safe that I don't have to worry about. And then as I get into more of the vocal records and stuff, we'll, we'll ask permission and we'll, we'll do the right thing. Like we're going to pay out the artists that contributed to the art. Mm -hmm. um, but the vision is, you know, to keep the Blau stuff one of one with the exception of like the album artwork, which is yeah. a different, you know, we might do multi-edition, but like the actual songs, I'm yeah. only going to do one token for every song that's ever come out. Um, I think that's like the best way to approach it. But it, that's my current philosophy. I don't think that, I mean, it's taken like three months to come up with that philosophy, yeah. you know, like it's, it's hard to kind of like figure out how to do this, but yeah, I'm glad no, that, that you agree with philosophy. That makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. That, that, that's interesting. Um, so I, I imagine like a typical artist, the contracts vary a lot, but if uh, you know, for a big artist that's locked into a record deal, but they typically, if they created something new that they just want, you know, something random new that they wanted to do, could they, or, or it depends. It depends on the deal. Yeah. Okay. The deal. Sometimes a record label will own everything someone does into the future for a period of time. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a certain number of albums. Um, it, it depends on the deal, but okay. um, luckily for a lot of electronic artists, they don't sign long-term deals. So electronic artists are probably better positioned to do this than pop artists or than yeah. singers. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the fact that RAC and I started this and then now Boys Noise is involved and Boys Noise is, you know, really close to Skrillex, really close with like a lot of other really cool artists. People will take notice. Yeah. And you know, that's why I'm like trying to push this Boys Noise piece because I think that he's, he's an artist that's not as active in the crypto space, but the fact that he's still willing to put his, put his, name right. out there and give this a shot is, is going to resonate with a lot of people within the music business. So like you said, like right now, maybe only 1% of my fans even knows what's going on. Yeah. But I think in the next six months that will grow to 5% to 10%. And then in the next, you know, five years, hopefully that grows to 50%, you know, and, and 
it's um it's just exciting it's, yeah. it's it's energizing man like i'm more inspired by this than i've been in a long time that's super cool so i'm curious a little on the on the business front you know like i i don't know anything about the music business really and i mean you kind of alluded to the fact that uh, i i heard you say on one podcast that spotify actually is pr- pretty good as a monetization platform and i think the the, the perspective that I have that I think people in crypto have, and it's been a narrative in crypto for the past five or seven years, uh, both in and outside of crypto to some degree, is that like the existing social platforms are not great for creators, right? They're not great for monetization. So, so it's interesting for you to hear to, to say that. And I'm also curious, just in like 2019, without giving like specific numbers, you know, we all know 2020 you know, has been a, a big hit for artists because of the inability to, to, to do anything in person. I'm curious in 2019, roughly the breakdown of like, what was, uh, what was your revenue percentage wise, like in person versus everything else? So from a growth standpoint, the, to- the touring revenue makes up, the touring revenue in 2015 made up about like 97% of the income. Wow. And in 2019, it made up like 75% of the income. Okay. But, but the, like, to, I can, I'm happy to give you specific numbers. Um, my total song royalties earned in 2015 was maybe $10,000. For the past three years in a row, it's been over $300,000. So that's like a pretty, a many fold increase. Yeah. From, what it used to be. And that's just because I own my own masters. We also actually donate a lot of that to charity, but that's a separate conversation. Um, So the reason why this false narrative exists that artists don't get paid is because they sign predatorial record deals. And we need to train artists to just, that they don't need to do that anymore. Um, I've said this a lot, but there's kind of two reasons why an artist will sign a record deal. One is the distribution, because an artist might not know how to market themselves and they need the resources of a record label to market. Two is the liquidity. An artist like needs money to pursue their dream. They need to like not go get a day job. They need to sacrifice that to be able to, like, they, they need money to survive as they pursue their art. So those are the two reasons why people sign record deals. Both of those things aren't really relevant, aren't really relevant anymore in 2020. Mm-hmm. An artist can raise money from their fans in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see you know, this future world where the public can invest in music assets. It's something that I'm exploring. It's a pure security, but um, something that I'm really excited about. And then, you know, the distribution is all TikTok and Spotify algorithms. It's not, it's, there's no like game to play. You can just like get really creative on the internet and make shit happen. Whereas 10 years ago, you, you needed them. So there's this pretty big cosmic shift happening in music. And I think more and more artists will remain independent because they'll see that they can do it themselves. That's interesting. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the, the number, you know, 75% in 2019, it, it, is that uh, pretty standard, would you say, for, uh, you know, like an artist? Of well, it's, more, it's more like 95 to 99% for most for artists. Most, yeah. Touring revenue makes up that big. So like COVID hits and now, now what? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I personally... I, you know, I do a lot of stuff outside of music. I invest in a lot of like multifamily real estate. I do a lot of other like deals. Yeah. But if I didn't have that, I'd be fucked. Yeah. I'd be royally yeah. fucked. So it's yeah. like, 
you know, it's, that's why the NFT stuff is so exciting to me is it'll, you know, even for collectors like yourself, when you collect another, like a new artist that might come on board, like maybe you really believe in them, maybe they're already established. When you collect their art, you're like really helping them yep. pursue their art in this tough time. And for someone who can afford to help their favorite artist or an artist they really believe in, it's really cool. There hasn't really been a means for the public to show that kind of support, mm -hmm. right? The way the public shows support for an artist is by going to their show and enjoying themselves. Like that's how it's been in the past. Streaming, everyone doesn't think it really pays the artist that much. So they don't necessarily like dedicate. They're not like, I don't know about you, but I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go listen to this artist's music because it's going to support them. Yeah. No, that's not how you think about it. So this is the first time that this kind of product exists as a completely new layer for creatives to interact with their fans and with their fan bases. And I think that's like, man, it's so powerful. And I mean, clearly we both believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think more people will, I mean, as more money gets injected into the space, inevitably more people will come. But right now it's like this special moment where obviously there is some money in the space, but it's not like an overwhelmingly large, like these platforms are still only doing two to 3 million in volume. It's not like they're doing hundreds of millions in volume. So you can really feel the dedication of the artists and the collectors and it feels really genuine and natural. And it's really exciting um, because there's a lot of innovation happening. I think that it will become even more speculative over time, but with speculation comes innovation. It's just yeah. a part of the process as we all know in crypto, right? Yeah. As we all know. Yeah. Yeah. How I kind of see it playing out is, and, and I think we're, we're already seeing it with you. Like, you, you know, crypto people uh, love when, you know, new people come into the space to do things that are pushing the space forward. Right. And like, that's exactly what you're doing. And we kind of, I think about, um, you know, when I was at Coinbase in kind of 2013, 2014, I was like leading our merchant adoption at the time. So we were, we were onboarding like Overstock and, and Dell and Dish Networks and all these big merchants to accept Bitcoin. And at that, I use commerce. What's I that? use commerce for I use commerce for a bit when when you guys launched. I guess I don't know if oh, you're nice. still there when you launched. Yeah, commerce no, that later. was after that was kind of the pure uh, crypto product. But this was just we were a, a Bitcoin payment processor. Um, you know what we saw was that crypto people really got excited. Bitcoin people at that time really got excited to support these new big merchants that were accepting Bitcoin. And initially, the sales for a lot of these merchants really increased. But at that time, you know, it turned out a lot, most people didn't want to spend their Bitcoin, right? Um, like Bitcoin is uh, digital gold. It's a right. asset that you save rather than spend. So it was a little early for that type of, uh, you know, mainstream adoption, right? The spending of, of crypto, you know, with merchants. But I see something similar happening here where, you know, new people like yourself that are coming in and bringing in new people and pushing the space forward are getting, you know, support from crypto and are going to continue to. And I, I, but I see this as more sustainable behavior also, because this is like, yeah, we're collecting something that is going to appreciate in value if, um, you know, if this becomes a, a real thing. Right. So, and we've uh, already seen it on Nifty. I mean, I can't believe that. Like, I think, uh, the, deeper we sold for 1500 i think the last sale was 5500 like that's crazy you know yeah. like I, I didn't expect it but clearly you know even with starcrossed you know which obviously you participated on i i always go into it with no expectation right 
I, I want the art to speak for itself. I'm yeah. happy with any result. I'm happy with any result. But, I actually think you, 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 that auction could have kept going, by the way. I think it would have gone much higher. But And we're working, <laughs> we're working on at Super Rare to add an auctions product, like an eBay-style auction, so that it's, it's automated rather than the artist having to manage it. You know? Yeah, I think tweeting about it, not everyone sees it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of difficult. There's no like timer. Yep. So no one really knows. Yep. It was kind of weird because um, one of the other, the guy that was bidding against you is, is, has become a friend as well. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love chatting with you guys and, and yep. learn and learning just like how you guys, you know, how collectors think. And he was saying the same thing, like how much he, he likes to show his support early on in the bidding process. And he hates when a sniper comes in and literally yeah. a sniper came in and I, and I was like, Oh man, like I felt kind of bad, but you know, we got, we got to play by the rules. I think it'll be great when super rare integrates that new auction tech. I've actually been talking to John and Zach about it because we might want to save, I don't know what you think about this. And actually I have to, I have to run to a haircut here in a second, but um, I don't know what you think about this, but like we, we were thinking about saving our next, our, our next SSX plot piece which would be our first on Super Rare because we've each done stuff individually, but we haven't done an SSX plow yet. We were, we were waiting to do that until that auction functionality came on, but it might take a little bit longer. So I, I don't know when it'll be ready. I gotta, I gotta reach out to Zach about that. Yeah. Um, I think they're targeting for first week of November. So, um, oh, we're ways away still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then we'll put it out before that and then we'll do another one later. <laughs> it's, it's interesting though. Like I love, um, I love to see different platforms, right? For, uh, for artists like, like yourself to launch on, right? Because I think there's very different approaches that appeal to different audiences, which is really good for everyone, right? Like I think Nifty Gateway, um, I really like because it's easy for uh, anyone without crypto to kind of add a, a credit card and, and buy, right? And I think, I actually think Nifty Gateway is likely you know, for like a mass market type of uh, product where you want to get some of your existing fans to, you know, to get in, involved. I think Nifty Gateway is probably the best product for that, right? Um, right where, now, oh, yeah, I agree. Um, where like, you know, using MetaMask, which, you know, you and I are, are comfortable with and, and like, right? But it's not for most of your fans, right? Which is, you know, what you need. Even... Even Mike, like I had to do a couple walkthroughs with Slime Sunday because he did his own issuance and like he was running into some issues with MetaMask. And so like yeah. li little things like sending the same transaction with a, a different, like a later nonce, right? Like people don't, people don't know how to troubleshoot that. Like people feel like they're fucked. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. like later nonces, like, like, I mean, I remember like a couple years ago when that happened to me, I had to call one of my friends. I was like, dude, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. I'm stuck like and I felt I was really scared because I'm not an engineer yeah. not a software engineer I'm yeah. a sound engineer right but um it, it's there, there is a pretty big barrier to entry using MetaMask and like you said Nifty is such a great way to get non-crypto people on board which is why we do why we've done the multiple editions there and with Super Rare obviously there's a reason why they're one of ones and like Super Rare caters to the kind of more hardcore crypto community um and it's truly decentralized in the sense that like you know I can mint a token whenever I want tomorrow. I don't, I don't have to like rely on a third party to like mint them and custody them and all that stuff. Yeah. But the, the, the sacrifice there is of course usability. Um, but I think there's a place for both yeah. in, in the art world, right? There's a place for super rare and there's a place for nifty. And there's a reason why I, I kind of wanted to test it because we just did nifty 
And I kind of released the Starcrossed piece soon after the Nifty situation because I wanted to test it and see, you know, how many users work on both platforms. You know, you are, but not many, not, not everyone is. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of test like, you know, how frequently we could release stuff if it was different enough and what the different audiences were. And it was funny because like you said, after the super auction ended, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, I would have been on that. And I was kind of like, oh shit, sorry. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's, a learning, it's a learning process, I think yeah. for everyone. So, you know, um, it's exciting for us because we, we, you know, our next, you know, little, little, uh, little teaser and then I'm going to run to this haircut. Yeah. And uh, again, really appreciate your time. This was like super informative for me as well, kind of learn how you think about things within the space. But a little teaser on what we're working on. Um, we're going to do a full-length animated music video for a song that's not out yet. And that's going to be like probably our big entrance to 2021. Um, doing like a, literally a complete song and music video that's a one-of-one. One. Nice. And then potentially splitting up parts of that and making additions out of the parts of it for people that don't want to spend as much money on the full thing. I love it. So we're like, we're experimenting with that, but I think that's like super powerful. Yeah. Um, no one's done that before. And it's also very time consuming. <laughs> like Mike, it's, it's time consuming to obviously create the song, but it's even more time consuming to animate, you know, a two minute, 30 second video, like com with completely different animations, um, kind of in the style of 21. So, um, when we started making digital art, we felt that like all the other stuff out there was usually a, a clip that had one viewpoint or one perspective the whole time. If you notice, like most of the video uh, art that's out there as NFTs, it's not like edited and changing. It's usually like one graphic that's just moving. Yep. And 21 was our experiment of like actually cut editing different clips and seeing if people liked it and everyone loved it. So now we're like, we could do a full music video with this. It could be really cool. Nice. So that's kind of our next our next move. I like it. I like it. Good stuff, man. Well, I, the last question, you know, I haven't asked you much about music, but one one thing that came to mind, I saw you did a collab with uh, Ninja, I think, you know, a couple of years ago in the esports world. Um, I think a lot of people in crypto would probably love to see a, uh, a Vitalik. Oh, we should collab. You got to get Vitalik on a vocal. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Dude, I could get some crypto influencers and, and, and founders uh, saying some shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That was really fun with Ninja. We've been friends. He, he listened to my music and he, you know, they reached out to us. Um, they reached out to a bunch of his favorite DJs to participate in his album. He actually did an album with a bunch of DJs. And most DJs just kind of made a song for it, but I wanted him to be involved. So yeah. I had him record that game time, that 321 game time. And, uh, and that was a fun one. Actually, we should, to we should totally tokenize that. Yeah. I just have to, I have to get permission on that one. <laughs> we'll see. All right, man. Well, Good hey, stuff, dude. Chatting. Yeah. Lo love the chat. And let's, uh, let's talk again soon. Yeah, dude, let's stay in touch on Twitter and, uh, and look forward to chatting with you more. And again, thanks for all your collector long-term perspective. I think uh, it's, it's, it's good as we continue down this road. For sure. For sure. See you, man. Thanks. Brother. Peace. Great to meet you. That's where you